All right, so I want to lay a foundation. We're talking today about open doors. Open is the theme, and open doors was my assignment. And it's really important to be able to lay uh, uh, the right foundation so you can understand what it is we're going to really try to drill down on. Uh, we have just a few minutes together today, and I want you to remember one thing, and that is that the, the call of God to the nations demands competency. If nothing else sticks with you today, I want you to walk out of here remembering that the call of God to the nations demands competency. That's it. If nothing else sticks, that's okay. That's enough to carry you on to what you need to, to, to grow in, all right? Um, so we're going we're gonna to lay a couple foundation stones. One, uh, it, we already heard this uh, reference today, uh, the Ministry of Reconciliation. So we're going to build a bridge between two points in Scripture just to kind of really uh, stand on. Uh, the first is this one in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So again, just to really land on this idea that Christ came to reconcile all things. I'd love to elaborate on all things, but that's pretty much impossible. All things is exactly that. It is all things. However, I do think it's probably helpful to really drill down on reconcile. What does that really mean? Reconcile means to bring into right relationship. And I love how expansive this is. It is about God's intention, his ultimate intention towards his created order to reconcile, to bring all things into right relationship with him. That is a huge relief because there is a lot of stuff that needs to be fixed. And it's not just people. We live in a world with broken people and broken systems. And thank God that there's all things being brought into right relationship. So that's one foundation stone I really want to lay as we dig into this today. The second one is coming up on the next slide. Next slide, there we go, okay. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, let's read it here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not reckoning their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Next slide. Apparently my thing isn't working. That's all right. All right. So there's a couple things I want to really drill down on um, in this passage uh, that really uh, set the stage for our conversation about competency. So we see, uh, it says that Jesus Christ, and it was given us the ministry of reconciliation. So, as Bible school students, as going, you know, many of you are pursuing careers in ministry. You're here for an education that is absolutely uh, grounded and laced in all areas with, uh, with biblical value, content, strategy. You know, you are here 
for a very specific kind of preparation from a specific uh, perspective of faith. And that is really important to you. It's really exciting. Uh, but if there's one thing I could encourage you to do as a new habit, as you go on in your, in your walk as a, as a believer, is anytime you see the word ministry, ask some questions. Because if we're not careful, we will relegate the word ministry to miscellaneous. Do you hear that? So oftentimes, we use that word, and without definition, it doesn't necessarily have specific meaning. And that's not doesn't mean you don't ever use the word. You know, words always have a right place and right time. But when you see that word, ask questions. Ministry should not be just miscellaneous. In this case, when you look at the Greek word, I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm just a guy with Google. Um, but Greek, the word for ministry is the same word that is used often for service. It's also the same word when Paul was calling out to the churches uh, to extend relief. Right? Relief, service. The other word it often is translated as or equates to is mission. Mission. Christ has given us the mission of reconciliation, the mission to bring things into right relationship. The ministry of reconciliation, which is an extension of his, his, his purpose to come and reconcile all things, we are called to that mission. Did we make that connection together? Great. All right. All right, we go on a little further and it says, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Okay, I'm an action guy, so I was really curious as I saw that. I was like, okay, what does that mean? He committed the, the word of recon- uh, reconciliation. I don't want to just be about the words, right? We got, we got to make this look like something. Well, what's, when you really drill down into the meaning of that, it really is it's talking about the, the word is planted into us, put into us the word. So it's not just that we're supposed to be about the words of reconciliation, but it is actually saying, hey, for this mission, this word of, was planted into you. All right? Does that make sense? I'm starting to get it. All right? We're being reconciled to this verse right now. Um, and then we go on a little further, and it, and it talks about, it says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors. This is an important thing. We talk about this in the church, right? It's become a church word talking about being an ambassador of Christ. But oftentimes we fail to understand the gravity of an ambassador. Uh, has anybody here met an ambassador? We've got a pretty eclectic group. Anybody met an ambassador before? Yeah, a few of us, right. It's a pretty big deal. When an ambassador takes the oath of office, at least in our country, what's being assigned to them is a, is a, formal, a formal title uh, in, the, in the term that they use is uh, an ambassador extraordinary and plenipotentiary. There's a $10 word for you, plenipotentiary. They are an ambassador extraordinary and plenipotentiary. What does that mean? That means that they don't just have a job. That means that they, they are the full and absolute representation of the authority that has deployed them. You know, the ambassador, we work in Uganda, the ambassador to Uganda from the United States is not a woman, Natalie Brown, is not a woman who works for the United States. She is the United States. The revelation of that concept should reinterpret our experience. Ambassadors. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors extraordinary and plenipotentiary. We represent and embody the full authority 
that has sent us. Everyone's getting a promotion with this, okay? That's good. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That was the other thing I wanted to highlight, was the, become the righteousness of God. This does not mean we become always right. It's not about that. It's not about, oh, yeah, we're always right because we're the righteousness. Now, becoming the righteousness, there is a connection between becoming the righteousness and bringing all things into right relationship. It is not a coincidence that these things are connected in this passage. Reconciliation, the process of bringing into right relationship, and this, that we might become the, the righteousness of God in Christ. What we're seeing defined for us in these two verses of, first of all, the foundational Christ being, coming to reconcile all things, and then us being given the mission of reconciliation... We have work to do to represent, I can tell you, again, this ambassadorship. An ambassador is not just someone who is hanging out, like filling a space, you know, so that there's someone to show up and, you know, wear a suit and uh, wave a flag. They also refer, uh, in diplomacy circles, the ambassador is referred to casually as the HOM, the head of mission. The head of mission. There is purpose, there is task, there is qualification. There is a lot that goes on with being an ambassador. You have an agenda that you are there to represent and participate in and advance. And that mission for us is to be bringing all things into right relationship with God. Whew. So what I love about this is this verse, it provides our assignment and our responsibility. Let me mess with you a little bit. It does not express our complete authority. Go ahead, let that bother you a little bit. It should. So there's definitely a jurisdiction that's defined in this verse. But there's only one part of the authority defined. Authority is an interesting thing. Authority, there's certainly an office of authority, right? There's positions, whether it's a formal position or it's a relational position, but authority carries with it a position, a defined authority. And that we do find in this verse, right? We see that. Are you following that with me? We could see, oh yeah, there's, there's some definition to the position of authority we have to be on mission to reconcile all things, right? Are we following it? So what's, there's, what's the other piece? The other piece is the execution of that authority. It's not just the position of authority. There has to be the exercise of authority. So the, the office of authority, the position itself is implied, but the exercise of authority is dependent upon an ingredient that is not found in this verse. Rather, it is hidden in how God has woven life together. And that ingredient is competency. Why, why is there a hidden ingredient? God's not a trickster, right? He's an all-knowing, all-perfect, all-present, non-deceiver, right? He's not, he's not a trickster. So why is there a hidden ingredient? The only thing God hides is treasure. The things of value 
are the things he hides, and not because he wants to keep it from them, but because there's value that's uncovered, not just in, what we, in the destination, but the journey. He hides things of value, and in this case, why is there a hidden ingredient of competency in the exercise of authority on that mission? <laughs> because, my friends, power is protected by problems. A very, very simple analogy is with weightlifting. Clearly, you can see that I am really into bodybuilding. I know a little bit about it. So uh, you do not get access to the power of bench pressing 250 pounds unless you are willing to embrace the problem of 100, or in my case, about 78. You have to embrace the problem of 100 and then 105 and then 110 and 115 if you ever want access to the power of what comes when you can bench press 250 pounds. Power is protected by problems. It wasn't my idea. We can see it clearly echoed again and again all around us. He's not trying to withhold authority, but there is a hidden ingredient that in the pursuit of competency to be able to exercise that authority, to be on mission to reconcile all things, there's something developed in us because power is protected by problems. Another way to look at it is you think back to a few minutes ago when we saw all the, the, all the nations and people groups of Asia. He loves them too much to let me incompetently exercise authority. Let's drill it down personally to your life. We are called to be in community, but I will tell you, he loves you too much to let incompetence exercise authority in your life. We are precious. We are precious. Woo! Where, where is it? I wrote it down. We all sang it, sang it again and again. I'll say it again. He, because, why? Why did he protect pow, power with problems? Because he is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. The reward of his suffering was worth the price he paid. The reward of his suffering deserves protection. And that is you, and it is absolutely the nations we are called to. The reward of his suffering. Hidden ingredients. All right. We got that foundation down. Let's talk about open doors. We need to talk about open doors. What Doors are part of our, our lives, right? The doors are everywhere in our lives. We, they, what do they represent? They re- represent access. They represent protection. They represent intimacy and connection. Right? Doors define access into the different parts of our life. That not, you know, buildings are containers that where relationships take place, right? And so doors have a lot to do with relationships, and so it's, a, it's an apt metaphor for this. And we've all experienced doors that are open in our lives and doors that are closed in our lives and certainly doors that are locked in our lives. And so if we're going to talk about open doors, in particular, how to see doors unlocked is what I really want to talk about, and that relationship with competency and how to open doors. A little background. Let's see. Yeah. So uh, 14 years ago, eh, 15 years ago, I ended up at a neighborhood barbecue with a friend that I met. And he was a new friend. He's from Uganda. And out of this conversation with him, uh, I really found it just, I, I loved the diversity of other cultures, and I loved talking with him and hearing his story. And 
even out of that, he was talking about the, the, the problem in daily life of not having basic needs met, in particular the water crisis that he is a pastor and he is, a, uh, he is also a, a school director. He's been trained as a teacher. He started schools. He started churches. He actually pastors an, an Elam church. And um, there, there's over a thousand Elam churches in Uganda. A lot of us don't know that, but uh, it is, it is a, uh, it's one of the few places on earth you can go and say, I bring greetings from Lima, and they, they actually cheer for you. You're like, wow, that's a, I've never had that work before. Um, but he was talking about how he looks into the rooms, in, into the faces of classrooms and congregations of people that are hungry and sick and thirsty. And his particular training comes up short. And so in that first conversation we had at the barbecue right here in Lima, we get talking about water, and I was pretty ignorant. Everything I knew about the water problem, I learned from, you know, entertainment tonight. You know, I knew there was, yeah, there's a water crisis. I know there's a problem. People don't always have clean water. I know it makes people sick, and I know a lot of, there were some celebrities that were drilling wells. Or I didn't, that was about the extent of my knowledge. So I had explored the problem. And the first half of the problem is uh, represented in this picture. We see this young man, probably the same age as some of your younger siblings, and he is at a local, uh, they call this actually a, uh, a, a dam, where they've taken a bulldozer and, and dug out an area where it just holds and collects runoff. And he's getting water for his family. Uh, there's a problem here in that you can see over here in the background, it's kind of a, out of focus, but there's a whole herd of cows doing the same thing. And so he and the cows are using the same water, and cows do what cows do in the water, and, and, and this is what he's got to bring home to his family. And so the first half of the problem that we discovered was that the water is contaminated. It's so contaminated, in fact, that it doesn't just fail the WHO, the World Health Organization, tests for safe drinking water. It actually fails the, the WHO standard for safe water for recreation and bathing. Children under five should not even touch it. That's how contaminated it is. That's pretty typical. Didn't have to dig deep to find a picture like this. I remember the day I was there. This is every day. The water quality is killing people. So that was the first part of the problem. The second part of the problem is represented by this young guy here. It is the logistical problem. It's the work. It's the distance. It's the time that is sucked away out of people's lives as they have to go get water. Where it is and what it takes to get that for your family every day, your average family in Uganda is committing anywhere from six to eight hours a day to the process of getting up, walking to water, waiting to your turn to, to fill your water, carrying the water back, going to fetch firewood, building a fire to boil the water so you can cook the water so that the things that are in that that want to kill you will get killed off so that you can then wait for hours for it to cool down so that finally at some point late in the day you can have safe water to drink. And so this problem, it was what we started to explore as we're trying to, I was trying like, oh my gosh, what does this even mean and how can we make a difference? And, and so we began to try and do something, right? There was, there was something that bothered me in a productive way that I was like, hey, this is a problem that we know how to solve as a human race. Uh, you, can't, you can't live without water. So if there's people living anywhere on the planet, they have to be figuring it out. But clearly something was impacting me mentally, emotionally, spiritually, as I realized there is something deeply out of right relationship with God's intention for that young man 
for his family, for his community, for his nation. 785 million people in this world woke up today without safe or sustainably managed water. Matt Damon said, imagine if we cured cancer and 10 years later, 785 million people still were dealing with it. What is wrong with that? This is a problem we can solve, we know how to solve. It persists because of a cocktail of apathy and ignorance. We're not all cold, apathetic people, but oftentimes our ignorance perpetuates our apathy. But this is solvable, and that was what I began to suspect as I was learning about the problem. So we started doing something. What did we start? We started with rainwater systems, catching water off the roof of churches and schools, and and, uh, we put these big black plastic tanks there, and we were catching the rainwater, trying to help these communities get some clean water. And uh, we were like, hey, there's all kinds of other things we could do to help, and we started... You know, we started, uh, you know, taking all these short-term trips. You know, we were doing short-term trips, and, and uh, we'd collect first aid supplies, and we're doing first aid in, you know, in these communities. And we're, oh, let's, let's, we met some amazing people that were working with street kids. And we're like, oh, let's, you know, get involved with the street kids. And then, oh, yeah, small business development. I love business, and so we're, let's help, help people start some businesses. And before long, we realized we were doing all kinds of stuff, and we were mediocre to bad at all of it. That's a rough realization. When you realize, I'm like, oh, yeah, we're, we're taking four trips a year to Uganda with all these people and playing, let's pretend we're temporary doctors and let's have fun with street kids and not take the time to understand the actual emotional, psychological needs of a population like that. Let's, uh, let's, let's do some, some uh, these water projects uh, under, the, under the excuse that, hey, it's better than what they started with. You know, let's do a little bit of small business development, but not, not really enough to really make sure people are thriving. Not asking enough questions of what is, how, does this, how does this micro-loan translate to your dinner table? We realize we were uh, carelessly exercising that authority and not pursuing the competency to justify that call. And so we had to get out the butcher's cleaver and cut some things away and commit to a journey towards competency. We stopped doing trips. We do some trips now, different reasons, different content. But we don't do many. Uh, We still love street kids. But that is not part of our program. And I still love small business development. But we don't do any of that right now either. We said, hey, we are here to take the love of Jesus and turn it into solutions to set people free around water, sanitation, and hygiene. And we want to be awesome at that. And that takes a lot of work, and it takes focus, and it takes a to-don't list just as much as it does a to-do list. But recognizing that we are called not to do, hey, here's the thing, you're not called to do all things. You're called to carry out your part of the mission of Christ reconciling all things. And basically what I've said is our team can handle reconciling one thing or really one part of one thing in one place. No, we are not the, we are not 
operating in the Philippines, India, Mexico, Haiti. We are the Ugandan Water Project because that's what we can handle. (laughs) And that is enough. That is enough. And where has that led us? It's led us to learn and to develop expertise and skills. It has led us to build a culture around what we call the relentless pursuit of the 2%. We recognize that, hey, if we can grind out a 2% improvement on one of our projects, our programs, drop the execution time by 2%, if we can ask 2% more questions so that we can not just accomplish tasks, but we can create solutions with the people we're partnering with, like we are a learning organization trying to get better and better and better And that means we have to hold our own expertise in an open and humble hand to say at any given moment, the value of what we know is going to get revalued as a currency because we know there's something better that we need to add to it. Because the the call of God to the nations demands competency. And where has it led us as an organization? What does that look like? It means that we're not just doing a few haphazard rainwater collection systems on community buildings anymore. We have a solution set that's broadened. We've tried a few more things beyond this, but these are things that we do again and again and again. We do rainwater collection systems, borehole well rehabilitations, bringing dead wells back to life. We we do drill new boreholes. We distribute water filters, and we engage in hygiene and sanitation projects. Some of those solutions, what do they look like? They look like water filters that for $75 a day can, can provide 200 gallons of safe water for a family or a classroom or a clinic for the next 10 years. Taking water just like uh, what you see <laughs> Salongo has on, uh, well, let's see, on the right uh, and making it clean and clear in just moments. We do rainwater systems that amplify what's happening at these community buildings like schools and churches and clinics and captures rainwater and serves 250 people at a time and lasts about 25 to 30 years. Providing education, you know, the number one school supply is clean water. The number one medical supply is clean water. We bring dead wells back to life for for $2,000 and 500 to 1,000 people finally have water back in their community. Restoring water, health, hope. And we do this Again and again, but it's not just the, the quantity of the, what we're doing, it's the method. I can remember the day we, we began to learn. We began to learn. We didn't used to know how to do uh, borehole well restoration, those hand pump wells. We didn't know how to fix those. And so we went to another organization that was doing some of that work, and we said, hey, will you teach us? And they said, sure. And so we raised the money, and they went out to the field with us, and we started learning it. And we're so grateful to learn that skill because it gave us another solution. Another way to bring more people in our jurisdiction in you know, something that was broken into right relationship with God. But not long after we started learning that, we, we encountered a couple things. We we're like, hey, why do these pipes keep rusting out? Like, these people just said that this was fixed, you know, two years ago. Why does it need to be b- fixed again? We started to realize, oh, well, these pipes, these pipes are junk pipes that are coming out of, you know, some low-grade factories in, in China and India, and we don't have good market value here in Uganda, so we're getting bad quality pipes. And so we had to go on an education journey and to learn about stainless steel alloys. And I now know the difference between 306 stainless and 304 stainless. And I know how to do a Molly Bednam test on that metal to make sure that when we buy materials to serve people and set them free, that it's going to last as long as we say it's going to last. 
And it's not because I'm passionate about metallurgy. It's because the call of God to the nations demands right. And we also realize, like, hey, there's a lot of, you know, we actually said to the people that trained us, and we love them. We, we continue to be in relationship with them, but um, everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. We said, hey, what about this community? This borehole is silted in. It's all plugged up with mud. How, what do you do? And like, oh, it's so, we can't fix them all. That didn't sit well with us. So we kept asking. We kept learning, and we realized, oh, we can, we can buy another piece of equipment. We can buy a huge compressor. We can blow this out. Adds more time, adds more expense, but it revitalizes it far better than when it was even new sometimes. And we, we embraced that journey so we could exercise the authority in our jurisdiction. And so we continue this pattern to say, for what we're called to do, we have to carry the responsibility seriously and we have to continue to learn. It wasn't enough for us to, to just stay where we were at, we realized that we had to focus. We had to build expertise. We went through very specific learning processes in so many different areas. The cultural education has been a whole journey in itself. It's easier to give you examples about the hardware, but it's, it's how you work with people that really was where we've learned the most. But driving for competency has developed our mission and opened doors. It's opened doors for us into bigger collaborations with other organizations. Our work's been published in academic journals. During the COVID lockdown, we helped to co-write and shape a new national policy in Uganda for the professional maintenance of hand pumps. You know, Jessica, who is here now living on campus and working with us here, she was the country director at the time, and she can tell you conversations that happened in our team room that ended up on paper as the law of the land. And that doesn't happen without competency. We find ourselves having influence and more resources and better quality people because that competency demonstrates the capacity and draws people. And it opens doors. You know, there's different ways to open a door. Um, I always liked spy movies when I was young. You know, I'm like, oh, you could pick a lock if, there's a, if, the, if the door is locked, right? We can, that's one way to open a door, right? We can pick the lock. Has anyone here actually picked a lock? Jody. <laughs> right. So three generations of my family owned a hardware store, and one of the things they did was they cut keys. And so, you know, there was a certain certification you had to legally own a lock-picking set. And my grandfather had one, and every once in a while he'd let me borrow it, or sometimes I'd borrow it without asking. And... And so I'd play around with it. Let me tell you, you can open a door that is locked by picking the lock, but it is slow, and it is tedious, and it is cumbersome, and it is not what it looks like in the movies. Also, it is against the law. And whatever jurisdiction you have, you violate it when you pick the lock. Not all romantic adventures really play out that well in real life. We can break down doors, right? Firemen, when they're uh, trained, they're issued a set of irons. It's an axe and a halligan. A halligan is a barbaric tool that they use for busting into things to save people's lives. Very useful for opening a door when lives are literally at stake in the moment 
and where destruction is an acceptable outcome. You can break down a door. That doesn't usually get a second invite. So how do we open doors? I took them out of my pocket. We open doors with keys. We open doors with keys. Think about the things you have keys to in your life. Keys come with a cost. I have a key to my car. That was not just given to me. I have a key to my house. Uh, When I was in high school, I worked at Tom McCann's shoe store. And at one point, I was a key holder. They paid me to do that job, but where did the cost come? It came in trust and competency, demonstrating the ability to hold that office. Keys come with a cost and a responsibility. Locked doors often are protecting things. And so if you want the keys to unlock doors, if you want open doors, learn how to acquire keys. Learn how to pay the cost. Learn how to build the trust to be entrusted with keys. I have keys to things that I don't own. I don't own my office building. But we pay a price and they trust us to the contract. I have a key to the church. Every once in a while they ask me if maybe I should give that back. (laughs) No, just kidding. But they trust us to have that key. There's no financial arrangement there. It's because we are committed to some of the same things and we participate in some of the same things. And they said, hey, at this point, we really need, in order for us to do our mission, we need you to be part of it. And here's a key. Acquire those keys. We're at the end of our time and... and I come back to that invitation to the journey of pursuing competency. You know, that, the verse that we really dug into today, again, outlines a certain authority, a certain part of the authority, the office of authority to exercise a jurisdiction, to participate in Christ's action of bringing all things into right relationship. And that idea of jurisdiction, when, we, when we're when we're taking what he's given us and then adding to it that hidden ingredient of competency in our assignment, then we get to participate in making things happen within that jurisdiction. You know, the call to the nations, we're not called to all nations. We're not called to, we, we aren't, I said earlier, we're not called to do all things. So what you are called to will have a jurisdiction. And what does that mean? Juris means law and dicta means to speak. When we have all of the ingredients working together, we get to exercise full authority that's been assigned to us, and we now have the ability to speak law. It is an invitation to hard work. Proverbs does promise us that all hard work brings a profit. It is hard work, but it is worth it because of the doors that open. In under two weeks, I head back to Uganda. 15 years ago, me, who was sitting at a barbecue with just who, a friendly stranger, would never have guessed at the, the people that are on our list to connect with, district water officers who serve millions of people, members of parliament, 
the Speaker of Parliament. The U.S. Ambassador isn't actually available this time. But, like, these are the people who are on our agenda to connect with and collaborate with, not for a photo on Facebook, but because together we are actively trying to bring some of the things that are in our arena back into right relationship because right now the problem that we're taking on is keeping people from who they are in Christ. There is no difference between practical problems and spiritual problems. We have one set of standard equipment to get through life with and anything that impedes us from living out our identity and purpose in Christ is a spiritual problem and any solution that addresses it and overcomes it is a spiritual solution. If we're going to sit in these chairs and pray for God to change the nations, our next breath needs to be God, train my hands to build nations. Train my mind to build nations. Teach me to be an ambassador extraordinary and plenipotentiary. So as we close, I invite us to take a moment and bow your head. Take a moment and close your eyes and just just begin to reflect an honest reflection of where you're at in relationship to the work of building competency. Yes, it can be intimidating, but remember, he only hides treasure, and he's hidden some for you to hunt down and dig up. And so, as you sit there and reflect, I invite you to commit just as we sing about this in songs and we read about this in structure, your mind, your soul, and your strength to the journey of acquiring competency for where he's calling you. Yes, it's good to ask the questions of calling. God, I pray, I pray that you would continue to clarify the call on each one of these men and women today in this room, call to impact their community, call to impact their nation, call to impact the nations of the world, clarify that call and equip them equip them with what they need and reveal to them the next steps on the journey of competency so that they can be entrusted not just with the mandate not just with the office of authority but that they could with proficiency and skill and cunning and strategic tactical advantage exercise the authority that you are calling them to I pray a blessing on them that this week they would have specific, actionable direction of things they can do to take that next step, to pursue that the relentless pursuit of the 2%, to move them closer to engaging in the work, growing in the work, getting good at the work that you've called them to because you have a calling, you have a purpose. We are not in the water business any more than they are in any other business. We are all in the same business, the business of freedom and transformation to see all things reconciled to you. We just, I pray a blessing on this week as, as this campus focuses on what you're doing specifically around the, the nations of the world and these people in this room. And we thank you for their willingness to engage. The, everything that we saw here today, a willingness to be in the conversation with you. I bless it and we bring it to life in the name of Jesus to activate these people in the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.